following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down. Come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. When we look at the Old Testament, there is such an amazing view of the modern church. That view of the modern church takes us into an Old Testament prophet. They're both the same. They walk the same. There was a prophet who had a very unusual birth. That birth was directed by a holy angel. And as that birth took place, 
It was under the divine guidance of God. He had such plans for this prophet. Planned even before he was in his mama's womb. But what we see is that this prophet turned aside from the word of the Lord. He instead decided to go with the culture of his day. And so in agreement with the culture of his day, even though he was a Nazarite, dedicated to God, set apart for God, in spite of that, this prophet of God said to his mother and his father, there's a woman I want you to go get for me. She's a Philistine woman. She's from Timnah. I want her as my wife. Now, immediately you know there's trouble because no young man should address his parents in such a hostile, disrespectful manner. So we see immediately that part of the issue for this young man, Samson, was the same issue we experience today, where the young have no respect. May I say something else? The old seem to have no respect either. What am I talking about? No awe of God. No sense of the holy. No sense of the presence of God among us. As I bring this broadcast to you today, I have a very real sense of the presence of God in this studio. He's present here. I'm in awe of his presence. I want the words that I speak, I want the meditations of my heart to be in accord with his will. So I don't come on the air telling you jokes. I don't come on the air talking about foolish things about some worldly entertainment or sports. I don't come talking about some recent movie. Why? Because there's no life in it. It's death. And I come wanting to speak life to you. Well, this prophet had no sense of the holy. He only understood what he wanted for himself. And so, as he's on his way with his permissive parents to the marriage with a Philistine woman, suddenly comes a young lion roaring out of the of the brush toward him. The Spirit of God rushed upon him in spite of his sin. He tore that line apart with his bare hands and cast it aside. Then he went back with his father and his mother. They visited the family. The arrangements for the wedding were made. And some time later, as they're coming to the wedding feast... He turns aside to look at the lion's carcass, and there he sees that it's filled with bees, and they've put honey in the carcass. Well, he tells a riddle. He tells a riddle. 
If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Well, tell us your riddle. They said, we'll, we'll solve your riddle. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Okay, we know immediately now we cannot accuse Samson of being dumb. He's very bright. Intelligence is not a mark of righteousness. May I say that again? Intelligence is not a mark of righteousness. Well, his new wife immediately tries to coax him into telling her exactly what the issue is. He tries to convince her to somehow relay to him the meaning of this this riddle. They cannot solve it. And so they threaten to burn she and her family if she does not get the answer because they don't want to be robbed of 30 sets of clothing. Very expensive. Well, he finally tells his new wife, and he is angry when they come, and so the Spirit of God again rushes upon him in power. He goes down to Ashkelon, a major city of the Philistines. He kills 30 men. He strips them of their clothing, and he takes the clothing back and gives them. He's burning with anger. He goes back to his father's house and deserts his wife. So the father gives Samson's wife to another man. Well, when Samson finds out, he is livid with anger. And this time, he catches 300 foxes. He ties them tail to tail in pairs, and he fastens a torch to each coupled fox, and off they run through the Philistines' grain. He burns up the shocks and the standing grain together with the vineyards and the olive groves. The Philistines are livid. Now, what's happening? God is accomplishing his purpose through a donkey of a man. God is accomplishing his purpose because his purpose will stand even if we walk unholy before him. But oh, what a price to walk unholy before God. The Philistines are being defeated. But now we see that 3,000 men from Judah go up to the cave in the rock where Samson is in his fortress. And they say, we've come to tie you up hand and foot and to give you to the Philistines. Don't you know they rule over us? Oh, wait a minute. Now we see another picture of the modern church. We have to accommodate the world. We have to make peace with the world. So we can't say homosexuality is sin. We can't say corruption in government is bad. We can't speak against abortion. There's so many things we're not supposed to talk about. We're supposed to be tolerant. Are you tired of being tolerant with wickedness and evil? Are you tired of seeing the modern-day church 
play patty cake with the devil? I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it, I want to vomit. I want to see men and women come to Jesus, sell out, be converted, be changed into new creatures, and those new creatures then walk in righteousness and holiness in opposition to the wickedness of our day and of our culture. Now Samson grabs a donkey's jawbone, and with it he kills a thousand men. This man is so powerful. He is so mighty in the power of the Spirit. And now he's thirsty. And he says in chapter 15 of Judges, he cries out to the Lord, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place hollow place and water came out of it and Samson drank his strength returned and he revived so God is working miracles in spite of this man's wickedness I don't understand this it seems it seems wrong we serve a God who is so kind who is so utterly merciful who has such compassion upon us. We serve a God who so desires for us to walk clean before him. We serve a God who is so awesome, so mighty, so powerful. We come to this God and he wants us to repent. He wants us to turn aside from our wickedness. But that's not to be with this man, Samson. He's so very, very angry about his wife that he goes to Gaza and he sees a prostitute and he spends the night with her. In the middle of the night, he gets up and he takes hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and he tears them loose. He lifts them to his shoulder and he carries them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, when I was in Sunday school as a child, I heard this story, but they never told me the prostitute part. What a wicked action on the part of Samson. Now he finally falls in love with another Philistine woman by the name of Delilah. Now, the rulers of the Philistines, they come to Delilah and they say, will you lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we can tie him up and subdue him? Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. That's about 28 pounds of silver. That's a lot of money. 
Even today, that's a lot of money. And so she begins to press him to tell her the secret of his great strength. To tell her how he can be tied up and subdued. Now, what's going to become very plain as I share this portion of the story with you is that Samson believes he is entitled to the power and presence of God. From childhood he has been from childhood he has been told that the presence of God will be with him. Today in the church we tell our children how special they are. And we create in them a sense of entitlement. So they think they should receive from mom and dad everything that they want. And then when they're 30 years old, they should still be able to live with mom and dad. And mom and dad should be supplying them with everything they want. In the church, we have a sense of entitlement. God owes us. Please, may I just say, God only owes us one thing. He owes us judgment and destruction and hell. God does not owe us anything but destruction. God does not owe us heaven. God does not owe us righteousness. God does not owe us salvation. We are not deserving of any of these gifts. These gifts, they come out of the incredible goodness of God's heart. He doesn't owe us this. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God doesn't owe us. And when there's no fear of God, when there's no dread of hell, when we don't care if we displease him, We only want what we want. We cannot be made righteous. We cannot be set free. We are in deep, deep trouble. Do you see this? There is nothing in my heart that deserves the gift of God's grace now he comes and he calls us to repent and he calls us to walk clean before him but he gives us all of the power to do this It's not my strength. It's not my power. It's the power of Almighty God that he grants to me. 
Now, when I see the gift that God has granted to me, and I begin to understand how I stand, now I can begin to appreciate the gift of Jesus dying on the cross. Now I can begin to understand that the Lord God of heaven desires for me something wonderful, something magnificent, but I don't deserve it. The entitlement causes me to not understand my place before God in humility asking please will you come and save my soul it stops me from being converted and so I think I can take the gifts that God has given to me and now I can take those gifts and add them to my already worldly life just as Samson added God's gifts to what he desired. Now, do you understand that this incredible gift is something God wants to give to us? But the condition is that we would see our true heart before him and we would repent and turn away. Samson's with Delilah. He's desperately in love. And so he tells her the secret of his great strength, but he lies to her. He has no integrity. He tells her that if anyone ties me with seven fresh thongs that have never been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. So she tells the Philistines this, and they rush upon him. He jumps up, he snaps the thongs, and they run. She accuses him of making a fool of her, saying, you lied to me. So he tells her another lie. Tie me up with new ropes, never been used before. Then you can subdue me. You can see he does not believe it is possible for him to be subdued. He believes that he has absolutely every right to the power of God. I remember one national preacher. Huge ministry. Pastor David Wilkerson wrote a letter to him and said, if you do not repent of your sin... your ministry will be destroyed. He actually read the letter on television and laughed at it. 
I was with Pastor David shortly after that, and he was weeping over it. And a short time later, this man's entire ministry was destroyed as it was discovered that he was cheating financially and that he was engaged in a homosexual relationship. And his ministry was destroyed. This man thought that he could do anything he wanted to do. He could walk any way he wanted to walk. And he was entitled to the presence and the power of God that would make him utterly successful. This is what Samson thought. Finally, she says, look, if you really love me, you're going to tell me the true secret. So now he tells her everything. He says, no razor's been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me. I'd become as weak as any other man. So Delilah puts him to sleep on her lap and has a barber come in and cut off the seven braids of heavy hair. And the scriptures say, and his strength left him. When he awoke from his sleep, he thought, I'll go out as before, I'll shake myself free. The scriptures say, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. The Lord had left him. I don't know that there could be a sadder statement in all of Scripture. Now there's even a greater problem. In the modern church, the power of God has left the church in most cases. A man who came to church this past Sunday said, Pastor, I now understand what you're talking about. I've been attending a church close to where I'm working. He said, I go to church and there's a wonderful show. There's music. The pastor's nice enough. But there's no presence of God in the house. That's right, they're just doing church. There's no conviction of sin. There's no turning aside from sin. There are no lost being saved. There's no one being converted. It's dead. The Holy Spirit has departed. And all they're left with is human flesh. He did not know that the Lord had left him. The Philistines seize him, gouge out his eyes, 
and they take him down to Gaza. They bind him with bronze shackles, and they set him to grinding in the prison house. This is a terrifying picture of the modern church. Going in circles, blind, grinding out money. Church has become a business today in America, a big business. Going in circles, conversions, true conversions, very seldom in our culture today where a man comes, confesses his sins, repents, and is made righteous right then. No, we've mixed up conversion with maturity. We've taught that you can grow out of your sin. You cannot grow out of your sin. Sin is only dealt with in Scripture by amputation, cutting off. In today's church, with a therapeutic approach that all of us have been trained in, it's all about how you feel. It's all about what you want. It's all about your goals. Having what you desire in your life. You can't grow out of your sin. You cannot grow out of your sin. It must be cut off. And when you cut off sin, there's an immediate, there is an immediate righteousness that is manifested as a free gift in your life. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, and now you begin to grow in grace. Let's not mix up conversion with sanctification or mix up conversion with growing and maturing in Christ. Most people today who are growing and maturing in Christ were never in Christ. They're growing and maturing in a culture, in a philosophy of self-improvement but not in a place of righteousness. I wonder, I suspect, that many of you listening to me today have never truly been converted. You've just worked on improving your life with the principles of the Christian faith. but you've never been transformed into a new creature. You've never become regenerated. You've never become as before sin. So the same old habits are yet there, the same old angers, the same old ambition, the same old, same old. You've never become a new person in Christ Jesus. I wonder, what would it take today for you 
to recognize your true condition before God. Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. And so he is taken by the enemy. His eyes are gouged out, so now he is blind. Now he's bound with shackles. And he's walking round and round and round in circles, grinding out the grain. It is such a terrifying picture of the modern church in America. How do we even begin to deal with this? How do we even begin to talk about it? In my experience, when I try to turn aside from fellowship, when I try to turn aside from just being friends, and I try to begin talking about conversion, and call a person to repent for their sin. People get angry. People get defensive. Pride rises up. And all kinds of mean things can be said. <clears throat> because frankly, we think we're okay. Because we have Jesus. But in reality, we don't have Jesus because we're still walking in the flesh. We're not walking in Jesus. And so we walk, grinding out our daily bread. Working hard, exhausting ourselves. But when you say, would you share with me what has happened this last week in your walk with Jesus? They look at me like I'm from Mars. What are you talking about? What's happened with me in my walk with Jesus this week? <clears throat> I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Oh, really? Tell me, what has Jesus said to you this week? What are you talking about, Pastor? Jesus doesn't talk to me. The Holy Spirit doesn't talk to me. Are you crazy? And then you have a man who is a brand new convert. He confesses his sins. He gets right with Jesus. He's created into a new creature, a baby Christian. And the Holy Spirit's talking to him. Don't do that. Do this. Go here. Go here. Go here. And he's saying, wow, God's talking to me. I've been alone all my life. How is it that a brand new Christian who is converted, who is righteous, who is walking holy, Jesus will speak quickly with him, but 
but not with others who claim they're Christian? Because they've so seared their conscience with the world and the entertainment of the world that they have no awe of God. They have no respect for God. They have no fear of God. But they're Christian and they're saved and they're on their way to heaven. So let me be very blunt with you, please, may I? What's happened this week between you and Jesus? What progress have you made on this Pilgrim's Progress Highway? Are you still walking in known sin? Are you still in rebellion? Are there still dead zones in your heart that block you from the power and presence of God? What is your spiritual condition before God? Have you ever been really converted or are you just religious have you ever been born from above so that you stop sinning and you live a righteous life if Jesus were to come today and call you would he take you to heaven or would he take you to hell If you're still walking in known rebellion and sin against Jesus, he would not take you to heaven. For a sinner cannot enter heaven. Only the righteous can enter heaven. What is your spiritual condition? What is your spiritual temperature today? Are you walking in circles, depressed, angry, wishing Jesus would come close to you, but he's far away, wishing he would speak to you, but you don't spend time in scripture and prayer? No, I don't mean 15 minutes. I mean time real time fellowshipping with Jesus have you obeyed the promptings of the Holy Spirit he's in prison I can tell you now only Jesus can break you out of prison and he'll do it today he'll do it right now if you will confess your sin before God specifically, not saying forgive me for my sins, but identifying those sins. I'm angry with my boss. I'm undercutting my boss in gossip with other people. I'm talking about workmates and I'm undercutting them. Oh, now that's specific sin. I'm fornicating. 
I'm watching porno. I'm cussing. I'm smoking. I'm drinking. I'm walking in wickedness before God. When you come and you confess that before Jesus and you ask him now, break the power of the sin in my life and make me into a new person, he will do it. He will transform you and make you into a righteous man or woman. Now, you can spend the rest of your life in prison, in your pride and your arrogance, and then you can face hell, even though you're very religious, but totally unrighteous, walking in your flesh and not in the Spirit of God. Finally, they take him to make sport of him, put on an exhibition. And after they've shouted and taunted him, after they've shamed him, they finally stood him between the two pillars of that great building. And he said to the servant who was guarding him, Look, put me where I can feel the pillars that support this temple. I need to lean against them. Now the temple's crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines are there. They're up on the, on the top, on the roof. They're having a party. They're celebrating. And Samson prays one more time to the Lord. O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, O God, please strengthen me just one more time. What's he saying? He's saying, oh God, come back to me. Evidently, his prison time has been effective. He now wants the presence of God. More than he wants life itself, he wants the presence of God. Do you want the presence of God in your life? More than even life itself. Do you want God to remember you? He takes those two pillars and bracing himself, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. He says to the Lord, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all of his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it and he killed many more when he died than while he lived. And his brothers and his father they went down and got his body and brought him back and buried him. 
he had led Israel for 20 years. The church in America is not leading America. The church in America is in the prison yard of the world, grinding out their programs and their money, powerless. The presence of God has left most churches because of wickedness, because of foolishness, because of worldliness. And we desperately need a revival. If God does not send a revival to America like the first and second and third great awakenings, we're going to be burned. We're going to perish. This nation will be destroyed. If ever there was a time when a nation needed revival, today is that day. God has called the National Prayer Chapel to be a soul-saving machine powered by the Holy Spirit. The reason the National Prayer Chapel exists is to bring revival to Washington, D.C. and to this nation, to America. And I'm being very playing with you today if you want revival in america i'm asking you to come and lay your life down for jesus and for the work of the gospel for revival at the national prayer chapel we are finished we are done we are so done with institutional christianity loud music entertainment and the sinning christian heresy If you come to the prayer chapel, we won't teach you that you can grow out of your sin. We will preach immediate repentance and an instantaneous new birth that enables you, the sinner, to stop sinning. It's time for Christians to live like the church in the book of Acts. How does this happen? Well, there's no shortcut. It will require you to forever renounce and leave all sin by faith in Jesus. Then you must consecrate yourself not only to Jesus Christ, but to the work of the gospel. You'll have to change your priorities. You'll have to change how you spend your time, your money, your energy. Jesus Christ and the work of revival, the gospel work must become number one in your life and in your heart. Now, when you come to the National Prayer Chapel, you will gather with like-minded Christians to pray for the promised Pentecost anointing of the Holy Spirit. And as you pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I know he will come. And the result will be that we will boldly preach and heal the sick, cast out demons, even raise the dead. That's what the Scriptures promise. And as we pray together for revival, sinners will fall under conviction. They will repent and they will give their lives to Jesus Christ. Do you want to see the culture of Washington, D.C. and America changed by the power of Jesus? Do you want to see abortion abolished? 
Do you want to see this LGBT movement subdued? Do you want to see drug and alcohol rampages stopped? And in the midst of all of this, do you want to be a part of bringing thousands of people to Jesus? Do you want to be one of many gathered to worship Jesus and praise him for saving them from sinning and from hell? Now, I want to invite three groups of people to come to the prayer chapel. First, we're reaching out for this Sunday, August 13. If you want to be a part of the revival movement of God, I'm asking, will you come And will you be a part of the National Prayer Chapel? We're calling first for serious Christians who are sick and tired of powerless Christianity. Christians who agonize over the lost and feel they can't go on living unless they see sinners repent and return to Jesus. Second, I'm inviting those of you who are half converted to come and be totally converted. Are you a Christian who's never been able to stop sinning? If so, you're half converted. You're not saved. Come to the National Prayer Chapel this Sunday, August 13. Prepare to forever quit all sin and live a holy life in Jesus. Now, we meet at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you that address again. 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. Now you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Now there's a third group of people I'd like to invite this Sunday, the 13th. I'm inviting you if you are an, a non believer, non Christian but you're sick of your sin and you're hungry for something real. If you're hungry for something real, you'll find that real thing is Jesus Christ. Are you tired of your own destructive behavior, the meaningless of your life, the struggle to survive? Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to the National Prayer Chapel this coming Sunday. At 12 noon, that address again, 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. You can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Now, please, the National Prayer Chapel is being completely reorganized and redirected. We are going to go 100% for revival in America, for righteousness in America, for conversion in America. We want to see sinners saved. We want to see the half-converted turn back to Jesus and leave all sin and be washed and cleansed by the blood. And we need some of you who are serious Christians, some of you who want to be builders, We want to see you come. I'm asking Jesus to give us 100 builders this month who will give $100 apiece to help take Pilgrim's Progress to the FM dial. 
Now, you know, this broadcast is going to preach immediate repentance. It's going to preach instant new birth in Christ that enables sinners to stop sinning. We're going to preach Jesus who saves now. We preach the gospel that Jesus taught when he said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. It's the gospel that Paul taught when he said, how shall we that are dead in sin live any longer therein? It's the gospel of John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, Maria Woodworth Edder. This is the gospel of Jesus. It's not the modern gospel. This is the gospel that brings revival. If you want to be a part of revival in Washington, D.C., would you become one of 100 builders who will say, yes, pastor, I will stand with you. I will give $100 that Pilgrim's Progress could go to the FM side of the dial. 100 builders who give $100 will cover one month of FM radio. Now, some of you could just write a check for $10,000, but not many of us can do that. But all of us could give $100 if we sacrifice. Would you do that? Go to our webpage, touch the donate button. You can give online, or you can simply mail your check to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22. One nine five. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I pray today that the presence of God will fill you with conviction. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.